one from the dawn of time. Amen. Amen. We ask that you would turn your Bibles this morning to the book of Titus. The book of Titus, the second chapter, verses 11 through 15. That's Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. And if you found a sacred scripture, would you please acknowledge it by saying, Speak, O Lord. Speak, O Lord. And would you please stand for the reading of God's inerrant, infallible word. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority, let no one disregard you. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading and hearing, but most importantly, understanding and living of his holy word. You may be seated. We hear a lot about this word, grace. And it's probably one of the most meaningful words in the whole of human language. Now, it means different things to different people. Now, to unsaved people, this word means three things generally. Grace is that quality, that thing that is beautiful and joyful. It may be the fragrance of a spring flower. It might be the rich green color of grass or even the beauty of a wonderful person. Secondly, grace is anything that has attractiveness. It could be a consideration. It could be an act of kindness. It could be just a gracious word. Grace also is a selfless act. Something that you would extend to a very close friend. Something that you would give freely to someone expecting nothing in return. And even though all these are great things and things to be enjoyed, Christians, when they think of grace, they think of what God has done through humanity, and it has a much deeper and richer understanding than any of the others. Because we see God as the one who saves sinners, saves sinners who had rebelled against them, saves sinners that acted against them, saves sinners that rejected his guidance, and that same God showed them grace. So grace for us is that it is the favor of God that he showers upon us, though it is undeserved. 
He showers his grace upon a humanity that does not deserve it, but only deserves his fierce wrath. A humanity that is steeped in his own sin and is silent in his repentance. A humanity that is lacking in hope and does not recognize that we are helpless without God. Grace is the favor of God through His loving kindness, through His mercy that is freely given to His enemies. Grace comes to us not because we merit it, but it comes to us because of God's great mercy. Grace is the favor of God known as God's riches at Christ's expense. Romans 5. 6 through 10 says this, But while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one would scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have received reconciliation. Amen. Amen. That's a profound difference between the everyday grace that man thinks of and the grace of God. God has given his only son to die for us, and to die for us while we were still his enemies. First John 4, 9 through 10. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Send his son to take the wrath that we deserve. Send his son to be able to bridge the forgiveness that none of us deserve. That's three things that we have to remember about God's grace is different from our superficial understanding of grace. Number one, God's grace is not earned. It is given. It is something that is completely undeserved by each and every one of us. Ephesians 2, 8-9 For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepares beforehand that we might walk in them. Secondly, God's grace is a free gift and is extended toward all humanity that hears the effective call and comes to his son. Ephesians 2, 4-6 But God, 
being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead and our trespasses made us alive together in Christ. So you see, he delivered us from death when we accepted Christ, and he does it through Christ. It goes on. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Thirdly, God's grace is the only way humanity can be saved. Acts 4, 11 and 12. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is no and there is no salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There are not many ways to God. There is only one God. God's grace means that all the favor, all the gifts that God wants to bestow upon us can be bestowed once we accept His Son through faith. James 1, 16-18 Do not be deceived, my beloved brother. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of life, with whom there is no variation or shadow to be changed. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Let us pray. Speak, O Lord. Cast your net deep and wide. Bring all that long to be with you. All that you knew before the foundations of the earth. Draw them to your Son, Christ Jesus. Change your hearts. Refashion them. Break them and remold them. Make them pliable through your word. And then, Lord, apply grace upon grace, patience upon patience, as we go from glory to glory, being saved, the fact that we are saved, and one day that we will totally be saved. Let us recognize that it is a process for us, a promise that comes from you, but something that is already done, something that you have prepared us for before the very foundation of the world. It is in the precious name of your Son and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, that we ask it all, and all God's children said, Amen. Five elements we're going to look at here quickly this morning. First, that the grace of God is that which brings salvation. That the grace of God is that which teaches us day in and day out how to live. 
that if this grace of God has been applied to our lives, it reminds us to constantly be aware and look forward to the return of Christ. That it is the grace of God that continually in our hearts humbles us and demonstrates the reason and the purpose and the finality and the effectiveness of the death of Christ. That is the grace of God that we, not only behind the pulpit, but from the pews, should proclaim to an unbeliever. It's all about the grace of God. It brings salvation. Titus 2, 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. This phrase, the grace of God, what does it really mean? Among unsaved people, it means favor and blessing from one person bestowed upon another. Yet grace is something far, far greater than this. God's grace is the grace that brings the very salvation to mankind. God's grace is his son, Jesus Christ, who is our gift, the savior of the world. God's grace is the message that is proclaimed through the gospel that has the ability to save people from the uttermost to the guttermost. Jesus saves people, listen to this, Jesus saves people who are in rebellion against him. Jesus saves people who curse him. Jesus saves people who are opposed to him. Jesus saves people who have already sinned against him. People who are without strength. People who live lives without purpose, without meaning. But Jesus still has a wherewithal and a desire to save them. Even when they don't even believe or recognize the danger that they're facing. Paul asserted here in our text, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. This whole idea, this New Testament concept of the grace of God shows that there is a benefit to his activity in the lives of human beings corporately and individually, and that is the grace of God, that God's grace toward us is solely based on his love and solely based on our inability to ever meet his standards. I don't think you got it. Solely based on his love and at the same time solely based on the fact that we will never be able alone to meet the standard. Without grace, there will be no salvation. Without grace, there will be no hope. It is grace that brings salvation. The grace of God introduces, it brings, it appears in his fullness in the person of Christ Jesus as salvation for all of us who are sensitive souls who will accept him by faith and faith alone. And you know, when we really look at this and take, for example, this verse, Acts 13, 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, they became, uh, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. 
That's why we can proclaim this message without any fear of rejection because everyone that has ears to hear will hear. Everyone. This verse affirms the sovereignty of God. Here without any contradiction, Luke maintains the dual emphasis of divine election as well as human response. Divine election, they were appointed. Human response, they believed. Then we look at the last part of Titus 2.11. And this is not an endorsement of universalism at all. It's not an endorsement that all people would be saved, but rather that salvation is universally offered to all without exception. Those who have ears to hear will submit to God's effectual call of love. Matthew 22, 14 says it this way. For many are called, but few are chosen. For only through the grace of God does salvation ever appear in the mind of an unbeliever. We see here, God's grace has appeared. Paul uses this verb. Empty final. And metaphorically, in regards to it deals with Jesus' birth in Acts 27 and 20. And then later on, it, it deals with literally the appearance of sun and stars. And there's only two other places that you see it in the New Testament Titus 2 and 11 and Titus 3, 4 through 5. I want you to look at Titus 3, 4 through 5 and see how Paul uses it. But when the goodness and the loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. How does He save us, Pastor? Well, Paul tells us, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. You see, both times it speaks of the very manifestation of God's salvation through the person known as Jesus Christ. Amen. Paul wants us to understand that the dawning of the light of God's gospel to a dark and lost world only comes through one person, his son, Christ Jesus. Colossians 1.13 Personal pronoun, he refers to Christ. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Personal pronoun that really refers to God. The grace of God was revealed and what? Personified, magnified, manifested in the person of Christ Jesus. Think about God and his incredible grace, so loving that he's willing to stoop down to those of us who are living our lives and doing our own thing, doing what we like to do, but God reaches down to us who have ignored him, neglected him, paid no attention to him, and he 
gives us the gift of Jesus Christ. What a gracious and loving God who has sent his only begotten son that we might place our faith in him. Do you understand that we do not deserve this grace? This is not false humility. We really don't deserve God's grace. Well, why don't we? Well, I'm glad you asked. We don't deserve God's grace because we come short of God's glory simply because we sin. God does not sin or act contrary to his own law, but we do. We sin and we transgress God's law. God never acts against his glory or his nature, but all of us do. We do things to attack the glory of God. We come up short. We lose our weight. We miss the target. You know, that's the whole definition of sin, is that it pictures an archer with a bow and an arrow, and he pulls back the bow, and he aims at a target, and every time he misses the bullseye, he is sin. So anything outside of the bullseye, which is the fullness of God's will, is sin. Romans 3, 23 through 26. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forth as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance he passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and a justifier of those who have faith in Jesus Christ. Just because he keeps his law and there's punishment for sin. And then Jesus takes his law, takes the sin and the demands and the penalty that was to come upon us, he accepts it. So here, he is also that same God, the justifier of all who believe in Christ Jesus that stood in the midst for them. you got to ask yourself this morning. Do you have an advocate that stands in the midst for you? An advocate that is just, that is righteous, that is perfect, that is always faithful, and that lives. And because he lives, we also will live forever. We don't deserve God's grace because we come short of the glory of God because we die. The shame of our nature is that we die. We die because we're sinners. We do not live forever unless we now live in Christ Jesus. Otherwise, we're going through the terrible experience. Everybody's going to die, but they're going to go through the terrible experience of the second death. Ephesians, as it were. Hebrews 9, 27-28. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes the judgment. I don't see any wiggle room in there that says, and 
And just as it's appointed for man to die, and I will say, my bad. No. And just as it's appointed for man to die once, and look at what happens immediately, and after that comes what? Judgment. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are what? Eagerly. No, you can't get that eagerly in there. Eagerly awaiting. You know, when things get crazy, instead of popping off and complaining, the things, what the sentence that should come out of your mouth is come, Jesus, come. You're not old enough, but that used to be a commercial about this bath soap. And the lady would get in the bathtub after a hard day, and she would go, Carol gone, take me away. That's what we should say, like, come Jesus, come. We can, we can stop all this nonsense today. Just come. We don't deserve God's grace because we're violating the laws of heaven. And we are doomed by our sins. We've ignored the consequences of our sins against a holy God. We have fallen short of his eternal reward. We're not perfect. And the only thing, only place that we will be perfect in, we'll be perfect in hell. But always remember that it is God's incredible grace and love that has saved us from himself. And that's glorious news that through Jesus Christ, the Lord has brought salvation to us. A person could be a murderer such as Paul or an adulterer such as David or a liar such as Peter when he was under pressure. But God's grace is sufficient to cover all of our sins. Acts 10, 34-35. So Peter opened his mouth and said, 